Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. Um, and if if you're new to the channel, it's where it's a place where I uh, talk about um, books and metaphysics, and I relate them to current events. So it's kind of like a it's a strange mashup, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what this show is, and I I think I'll figure it out over time. But it's just a uh, kind of a really for me it's a fun way of um, exploring topics I'm interested in, whether it be science, spirituality, and so on, and then um, taking what I'm learning and sharing and relating them to really important uh, current events that are unfolding, and they're the type of current events that people really aren't aware of or they're not talking about, uh, which is like the rollout of, you know, the the Web3, the, the spatial web, this token economics and so on so it's just um it's a way to talk about important topics but it's also i feel like it's a fun way to explore spirituality and explore um kind of what's and yeah it, it just exploring neat topics that i've already been interested in is also but it's also kind of talking about the the other this it's almost like there's an other side like there's a a fake spirituality or a fake um, artificial emergence or artificial reality that's trying to um, put itself over like nature and and life on earth. I hope that makes sense but just that's kind of what the show's about and of course it's about coffee and and my love of coffee because I, I love cafes and I decided to create this podcast when we're all kind of you know, over the last few years, it wasn't always possible to go to a coffee shop. So that's also another reason why I decided to, you know, take what I love about a coffee shop and put it into a, a podcast and just see what happens. Um, so thank you for tuning into the show. I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer about what the Quantum Heart Cafe is. And I hope you'll stay tuned today as I continue this series on a book I've been, I just started reading last week. Uh, which is Emergence, and so this is going to be part two of the that series where I'm going to uh, kind of pick up where I left off. Um, but before I keep or before I begin today's show, um, what I usually like to do is just take a moment of gratitude. And um, today I'm really grateful for just. Uh, well, it was a beautiful day today, like. Um, you know, for the last few weeks, we've had some okay weather and stuff, and it's just, it's nice that we've had some nice sunshine over the last few weeks, and it feels like uh, spring and summer are here, so it's it's really cool seeing all the new flowers coming out of the garden and uh, seeing all the birds and the baby ducklings and stuff, so I'm, I was pretty grateful for that. And, um, and today I've been... So I started drinking coffee before my shows because I tried to drink coffee and kind of talk about what I am the coffee that I'm drinking bef during a show, but I always found that I <laughs> the coffee would end up getting cold because I just end up talking so much. So uh, before I started, I drank a decaf coffee. I found a a nice decaf coffee by a local uh, coffee brewer or a local I think they're a local coffee. Uh, company. They're called Palette Coffee. 
and they have a pretty decent decaf. It's actually pretty nice. So I had some of that, uh, and I enjoyed it while I was kind of getting myself ready uh, for the show. So I was so I was really grateful that I also had a lovely uh, cup of coffee. So I'm just grateful that I had a really nice cup of coffee and enjoying the sunshine. And I'm gonna try and edit it out, but sometimes it's just that part of. It's that time of year where there's motorcycles and stuff, you know, loud cars out just because it's so nice and sunny. So I'll try and cut them out. But if you end up hearing a loud motorcycle or something, you know, forgive me. I, I can't control those those guys, even though I find them pretty loud and obnoxious, even when I'm not trying to record a podcast. All right. So we're going to continue where I picked off last week. I started talking about slime mold and artificial emergence and why slime mold is often used as a, um, or there, there are species that scientists and people who are interested in emergence and complex adaptive systems like to investigate because they, they display kind of like the, a group, uh, group behavior like that they have uh, individualism but then there's also uh, a group dynamic between the slime mold cells and that's something that the um, people studying emergence is really interested in is like the overall behavior of a group and that's another reason why they like um, investigating social animals, especially social insects like ants and termites. And this is actually going to be uh, the focus of tonight's show is going to be talking about ants, uh, a little bit about Manchester, because there's some Stephen Johnson, who's the author of the book Emergence, he talks about uh, Manchester and cities and how you can even have emergence and complex adaptive systems within a city. So I'm going to be going over that tonight. So it might be a bit of a shorter show. Um, and then I'm going to finish off part one, uh, hopefully hopefully on the weekend or the latest by you know Wednesday next week, uh, and then begin talking about part two. So um, he talked, so um, one of the chapters in part one is called The Myth of the Ant Queen. And uh, this is really important because along with slime molds, or slime molds, sorry, ants are another um, species that the scientists and researchers and those who are interested in complex adaptive systems really like to re to focus on as well. Like there's um, Alison McDowell wrote an interesting piece on E.O. Wilson's ant computer. <coughs> now link it in the description box below. I won't be going over that particular uh, part of the research today because in the book he does kind of uh, allude to E.O. Wilson but he doesn't really talk about he doesn't go into depth he only kind of mentions it because someone else mentions it instead he shares uh, a researcher by the name of Deborah Gordon he shares a lot of her research um, but E.O. Wilson uh, was another a scientist who looked into ant behavior and was interested in emergence and so on and that ant computer has uh, also inspired a lot of research into artificial intelligence and complex adaptive systems so 
I will definitely provide a link to Allison's blog if anyone is interested in learning more about how ants are involved in uh, the study of emergence. And this isn't trying to, you know, I'm not saying ants are bad. Ants are not bad. It's just there's people that are studying ants because they're studying the group behavior of ants in order to try and replicate that for us. And so, and, and also to have people go on or to manip manipulate and control people um, the same way that they can manipulate and control an ant colony and like the on a software development like they want uh, and I'll go more in depth into this as I go through as I talk about the book but what it looks like is they want to have people going on these pathways where like they want people to act and behave in a certain way and so they'll they'll set up a path with like you know chemical messengers and pheromones and only there'll be like nudges and um, kind of uh, like signals from maybe your your smartphone or maybe your wearables or something to go on a particular path. And I mean, I'm not entirely sure what their plan is when someone doesn't want to go on the path, but um, their idea is to nudge people to move along. Like the system wants to nudge people to move along in a certain way on a certain platform if that makes sense and to have people cluster into groups so that they can then be steered and kind of moved in a direction that the system wants them to go so that's kind of where the research into ants and slime mold kind of comes into play because they're trying to like um, replicate that but for humans and it, it does seem a little strange, but it's really important to bear that in mind. And it's really important to keep this in mind when we're interacting with things like social media and so on, because a lot of that's like electronics and signaling. So when we're on the social media platforms, uh, especially with like influencers and stuff, and I think I talked about this on the last show, it's really easy for... Um, like an influencer could, whether they know it or not, could set up kind of like a pathway and could then guide their audience on a pathway or attract their audience maybe. And then the system then through these social media platforms kind of guide people on certain pathways and trying to get people to do certain behaviors. So it's really important to really self-reflect when we're interacting with these social media platforms um, you know especially when they get us really emotional or um, when they have us thinking or sorry believing a certain thing or believing in it or acting in a certain way to like take a few steps back and kind of really question that like question like why why is this article getting me upset like as is there a behavior that they want me to perform? Is there like a, a pathway they want me to go down? Like these are really important questions to kind of bear in mind as we uh, talk about emergence and ant colonies. So like I said, um, one of the chapters is called The Myth of the Ant Queen. And in that he shares a, a work done by a researcher named Deborah Gordon. 
and uh, Deborah Gordon, and she studied uh, behavior ecology at Stanford, Gilbert Biological um, in the science building there. And um, she's, she shares with Stephen her simulated ant colonies. So it sounds like from the description in the book, like there are these big glass ant terraniums. And in a way, they kind of remind me of like the, I don't know if this is happening in New York City, but I have like 50-story glass buildings being built in my city. And it's almost like now that I've been thinking about this ant research, like they're glass terraniums or terrania. I think that's the right word, like glass. Like they're almost like they really are kind of like an ant colony, you know, like those, the, the, you know how like sometimes kids will have like the glass little ant colonies that they keep as pets. Like it's kind of like that, <laughs> almost like a huge glass ant colony because, you know, there's no not a lot of privacy with these buildings and so it's easy to watch. It sounds so creepy, but it's just, it almost feels that way if you, when you think about it and you think about like their obsession with ants and then their obsession with comparing us to ants, like it just seems kind of strange. So anyway, so apparently just from what the way that Stephen describes these traniums, they're quite big. So there's quite a number of ants living there. And uh, Gordon is studying the mystery of how ant colonies form over time and and her her findings um from from that research her findings has it has her have been used in like city planning neuroscience and immune and understanding an immune system so they're sort of it's just as important as like the findings that people have gained from studying slime mold like it's the same like that complex adaptive behavior is what they really want to understand. And so Gordon, she studies both the micro behavior of individual ants and the macro behavior of the colonies. So if you think about like the micro, the small and the macro, and then in like an occult esoteric way, if you think about the macro being like us or our thoughts or something, being connected to the macro, which is the bigger uh, universe around us, and how that relationship plays, you know, the micro and the macro have that relationship with each other. So she under she wants to understand the individual in order to understand the colony and vice versa. Um, and she does, and later on in part two, he does go more into more detail about her. Uh, research and how she's been able to study the formation of colonies over a life cycle because she didn't she doesn't just study a colony for a short period of time she's studied them over the course of like 10 to 15 years so she's trying to figure out how like the mysteries behind why an ant colony forms and thankfully they haven't been able to find all the answers <laughs> um okay and then she the ants of choice for Deborah Gordon are harvester ants. I mean, there's like thousands of different species of ants all over all over the world, and she's uh, chosen harvester ants to study. And so she, so the ants that I'm going to be talking about in this particular area, I guess, are those harvester ants. So I don't know if other ants display different behavior, if other ants do 
other things, but that's kind of what she's been focusing on. So that's those are the types of or the species of ants that I'm going to be referring to throughout the show or this series, I should say. Um, and I think she picks picked the harvester ants because um, intelligence, personality, and learning comes from the bottom up, not the top down. And are really interested in like the bottom up type of interactions and relationships that create emergence but it's really important to understand it and um, and it's that bottom-up um, those bottom-up behaviors that create emergence is that's what the researchers are really interested in and so that's why they uh, I think that's probably one of the re reasons why Deborah Gordon went for um, she wanted to understand how the ant queens work and stuff uh, or not Anna Queen, sorry, she wanted to pick the harvester ants because I guess they display that type of behavior. Um, and then Gordon shares that the queen, so she talks about the queen and how the ant queen is misleading. So Gordon shares that the queen harvester ant doesn't, she, she doesn't really tell the other workers what to do. Uh, she just gives birth to new ants. Uh, so Gordon then reasons that one of the reasons or one of the main reasons that ants will whisk the queen away during danger is because uh, it's in the best interest of the colony to save the queen because you know she keeps the bringing it bringing forth the next generations by giving birth so it's you know she reasons that it isn't out of altruism that the ants are <laughs> saving the queen that's because it's in the best interest of the colony to do so but what's interesting is that, like, further along in the book, in part two, she could, you know, Stephen talks, goes into a bit more in depth of, with Gordon's research, and he talks about how when the queen dies in the colony, that's a signal that the colony is dead. Like, the colonies, they go through, you know, just like with any natural life cycle, they go through a birth, <clears throat> like, kind of a adolescent phase and maturity and then a death and that death is signaled by the queen so you know to me it feels like the queen does have an important role to play and when she dies the colony dies so I you know I still think the queen's a pretty important part of the um, even though it's, it seems misleading but I think for me anyway I think the queen is still an important part and maybe it's you know I'm I'm sure it's not just in the best interest of the colony but maybe the ants have their own reason I mean this is what's so hard about taking human behavior and projecting that onto ants because we're just projecting our stuff onto them like they could have a whole other way of communicating or talking to each other that we don't even understand but to us it they appear as maybe not so smart or something because we're using our human intelligence to compare ourselves to them. So sometimes I find that, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if we could ever really truly know the, the ants, <laughs> if that makes sense anyway. So Stephen then, um, then argues that there's no real leaders in a colony. Um, but that desire to find those leaders is powerful in humans, so we'll look for those leaders. Again, it's different. Like, 
I mean, we we're inserting ourselves into the ant colonies and trying to understand ants from a human perspective, which I'm sure we can understand some stuff, but I'm, I don't know. And I do think that there are leaders in their artificial intelligence. So last um, last podcast, I made a difference between um, natural emergence, which is which kind of comes from nature. You know, like the synchronicities we get that are personal to us, um, but come from somewhere that's probably outside of the physical. But they, 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 you know, they kind of come, like, or there's like the natural emergence where, you know, we'll naturally learn something, or a species will kind of learn and grow on its own without you know, interference from an outside, like from human beings, for example, like these scientists. And then there's the artificial emergence where, you know, they want to copy the complex adaptive systems and use that to guide and steer humanity towards this social evolution, towards this world brain. I know it sounds crazy, but it's, it's true. And so, you know, that's the artificial emergence I'm talking about. And with artificial emergence, there definitely is, like, leaders and influencers that are there to um, polarize and attract and steer and manipulate people down certain pathways. So I disagree with Stephen, I think. And he keeps bringing that up throughout the book, so it sounds like a misdirection to me. Um, And then uh, Deborah Gordon, with her aunts, she was also explaining how there's local rules within a colony. So, for example, the the ant colony placed something called a midden. I hope I said that right. It's a midden, which is like a garbage dump for the ants and um, away from the main uh, city. But they also placed the midden away from a cemetery because they ants do collect their dead. Um, and I I know I've seen them. I've seen that happen a couple of times where they find a dead comrade and they'll bring them back to the, to the nest. So, um, and, and so they do have a cemetery and it's interesting that I found it interesting that they, they kind of like us, they, I know I'm, I'm, now I'm comparing, <laughs> I, now I'm comparing each other, us to them, but you know, there's other species that do that too, that they'll have a separate spot, um, for their dead and they're all kind of like a burial ground or, something like that so it's not so lots of different species do that we do that and then we you know keep our garbage separate from the main city most of the time uh and then um uh stevens then goes on continues on in part one by talking about the city of manchester and this is important um and we'll see this in a second how that kind of relates to ants but he talks about so sort of the history of Manchester, England, and how it was built on the ruins of the Roman uh, settlements. And the area planted itself uh, at the center of the technological and commercial revolution that changed the planet, which was the Industrial Revolution. Um, and Manchester uh, kind of grew as a city, um, and then by the late 1800s, it reached a population of about 
250,000 people, which is quite a lot. That's pretty big for the 1800s. Um, and then one of the reasons why the city grew to that size is because of the Industrial Revolution and the steam engines uh, which fueled the city's growth. And it wasn't until 1938 that Manchester actually incorporated as a city and they got a city planning department. So up until that point, Man Manchester was just pretty much organized chaos. Like there wasn't an official city planning committee. So the according to Stevens, Manchester kind of created itself or the people there. And I think this is why Manchester is a, um, a city that they like to study for emergence is because like, you know, you have all these people in the city making decisions and interacting with people and then over time that's how you got the city of Manchester and how it kind of spread out it built itself in a certain or it kind of emerged I guess with from all the interactions and people living there Manchester emerged as the city that we know of today um, and so Stephen also wrote how um, I guess that guy Ingalls, I'm not very familiar with Ingalls and his work, but I know he's pretty well known in like the communist circles, but I'm not really a com I don't, I'm not, I'm not a communist, so I don't really know uh, too much about him and I haven't read any of his stuff. So I'm just kind of going off what uh, Stephen writes about in the book. Um, so Stephen uh, mentions that in Ingall, uh, he visited Manchester and um, he talks ab and he relates that visit to, I guess, the self-organizing system. So in Ingalls' work, uh, The Condition, he makes a note how the lower and um, working class were pushed out to the margins of the city, or margins of the city, whereas the middle class lived in the more desirable locations. And so um, Stephen then talks about how hard it is to think about he again he brings up the same point about how hard how it's hard to think about self-organizing systems not having like <clears throat> leaders and and I went because he was saying that there was no like official leaders that pushed the working and middle class out to the margins he was saying that that just kind of happened without leaders and I'm just, I don't know about that because, you know, if you're at that time, and even in this time, if you're middle and upper class, you have money, so you have the money to gentrify and push people out. They do that to, uh, during present day, like they, you know, somewhere that's more um, considered poor or working class areas, they'll gentrify them and uh, raise up the prices and push the people out so they have to go further and further out into the, the margins of the city and then he doesn't you know he conveniently forgets about redlining I mean I don't I don't know if that happened in the city of Manchester but it's definitely happened uh, especially in the states where and and especially to uh, black people because you know they there's a lot of segregation and so they don't want certain people or certain classes moving into like the more desirable spaces areas so they'll redline and they'll as a way to keep certain people or certain individuals out of a neighborhood 
So these things do happen, like, the, even if it doesn't have, like, an official leader, per se, like, there are people that have those economic and kind of class interests where they want to keep certain people out of certain neighborhoods, and you don't, may not necessarily need a city planning department for that, like, you just need money, so... And I, again, he keeps bringing that up, and I, I just disagree. I think there are, especially in the artificial emergence, there are definitely, like I said before, leaders and influencers that work on the behalf of the system to steer and steer people in a certain direction. Um, and then Stephen also makes the analogy of how the ants separated the trash from the city and how the lower class would push to the margins, and I thought that was pretty off-color. Like, come on, man. Like... Are you comparing working class and lower class people to trash? Like, we're, they're not, no, we're not trash. Like, and I can't, I, when I was reading that, I couldn't believe the arrogance. Like, you just separate, or you just compare people to the lower class neighborhoods to the midden, which is a gar garbage dump for, that the ants create. Like, there's, I don't know, that's, that's pretty in bad, that's in pretty bad taste. Um, and then Stephen continues to argue that the city seemed artifully, artificially designed or planned to hide the, the squalor that the industrialists created, and yet it has been built less according to a plan than any other city in history, so this, that was his reasoning behind no leaders, but again, like, if you have the money, you can gentrify a neighborhood and push people out of it. So it's just, um, again, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, and then Stephen thinks that planning um, and organizing may not have been 100% deliberate, but those whose interests it, it, it works for uh, also controls it. So I hope that made sense. So basically, he was saying that even if there's no leaders kind of planning or 100% planning for the design of Manchester City or any other city, um, there are those who benefit from the uh, unplanned or um, way that a city or a neighborhood is created uh, because they, they're the ones that usually end up controlling it anyway. So I hope that made sense. Um, and then, okay, and then there's also, he also, uh, Stephen then mentions other, like, city critics like Jane Jacobs, who also, and he does mention her a couple times throughout the book, too, because she did some work, um, around cities and streets, like city streets, and her work, uh, it, it's been followed by those who are interested in complex adaptive systems so uh and sh so jane jacobs also thinks of cities as being alive and that neighborhoods cluster together uh without influence from dictators above so uh and again i just come i just think about redlining and gentrification so there are leaders and in special interest groups that do um you know that do consciously try and keep certain people out of certain neighborhoods.
And then he talks about the growth of self-organizing systems as a discipline. Um, Stevens wants readers to think about how the growth of the discipline as an interactive web rather than a linear nar narrative. So he wants people to think about the growth in um, the study of emergence and complex adaptive systems as a web that where there's a whole bunch of things linked together rather than a linear narrative and the web has many agents interacting over its duration so that's really important because the you know with complex adaptive systems it's focused on how individual agents are interacting with each other and following local rules to create higher level like group behavior And then he's saying, and Stephen is saying that there's two types of comple complexity related to cities. So there's a uh, complexity that comes from sensory overload from the stimuli people are bombarded with. And there's complexity as a self-organizing system, like what the Santa Fe Institute is uh, studying. Uh, and the Santa Fe Institute is heavily involved in studying emergence and complex adaptive systems. Um, the city is complex because it's it has its own personality which is created by an, excuse me inner individual people interacting with each other and making decisions. Stevens writes that uncoordinated actions from individuals uh, can create emergent patterns. Uh, another another character characteristic is the mix of stability, change, and open-ended learning. And the open-ended learning is really important because there's these open-ended uh, like platforms where you know they want to cap like where they want people continuously to learn and they and then capture that creativity and that um, and that those the result from the, all that the results from all that learning and all the those inter, inter interactions to then feed that towards this social evolution and eventual world brain. And if you're not familiar with the world brain, I did talk about a book called The World Sensorium by Oliver L. Reiser, uh, where he talks about, um, you know, socially evolving humanity to where we're, we're, uh, we're all interconnected in this, and like our collective conscious then goes towards creating this world superorganism or this world brain. <laughs> it's it was a crazy book. Like it's, I'm not making it up. It's in the world sensorium, and I highly recommend people read it. Um, and then he, he, Stevens does goes does go on to talk a little bit more about cities and emergence. So uh, Stephen argues that you don't need. Uh, regulations and city planners to make deliberate decisions about the structure of a city. All you need is thousands of individuals and some simple rules of in interaction uh, because th that's kind of like what's at the heart of a complex adaptive system. And then he also says that there are some patterns in a city that are hidden from other from outsiders and built by collective behavior of a small group. Um, and these hidden patterns can send signals to attract other members. <clears throat> and in that, he kind of makes 
um, the comparison to, because, you know, back in the 1800s, being uh, uh, gay or a lesbian was considered to be, you know, a, an offense that was punishable. So he does talk about how there was, like, the unspoken, like, a, a gay neighborhood or anything like that, but it was more on the down low. It wasn't really, you kind of had to know how to find it. So that's an example of, like, hidden patterns in a city and that only certain people will be uh, given the signals to find these patterns, if that makes sense. So I thought that was kind of interesting, and I wonder what else is hidden. Um, but I think what I'll do is I'm going to just leave it there for tonight because it's already kind of getting... It's not terribly long, but um, I do kind of want to spend next show kind of going a bit more because he talk he does uh, start talking about how um alan turing <coughs> excuse me who was uh, i don't know if you've ever seen the imitation game but he was involved with so the creation of some of the early computers especially uh, during world war ii and you know the, all the code breaking and breaking the enigma machine which was the german nazis um machine that they used to encode their messages and he kind of helped to break that so and he's also but he also studied emergence and complex adaptive behavior and he has a paper on morphogenesis and I'm hoping I can have a chance to read that paper if not I'll talk briefly about it in the next show because I do really want to spend go a little longer for the next show and talk about Alan Turing and um, kind of some of the artificial intelligence and the people that were involved in some of the early research into artificial intelligence, because that's really important um, when you're tr while I'm trying to, or that's really important for the study of complex adaptive systems and so on. So I'm going to kind of conclude part one. Uh, next week and it's going to be a little bit of a longer show because I do want to go a bit more in depth with like the artificial intelligence and the software engineer but I just wanted to talk a bit about ants and cities today and I think there's going to be I feel like there's as I move more through uh, Stephen's book that I'll learn more and more about the emergence in cities as well so I'll, I'll continue to talk about that um, as I read the book. So thank you all for joining me. So next week will be part three or like concluding the first part, but it's like part three of my series, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, and I hope everyone has a blessed day and a blessed week and weekend. And thank you for stopping by the uh, cafe. So I'll take care everyone. Bye-bye.